My name is Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors here at Mill City. It's nice to see some new faces. We're really glad you're here with us. Welcome. We hope that you come back again. Um, I have a really bad cold, and I can't breathe through my nose right now. And I don't know if that's why there's nobody sitting up here. It's really not that contagious. But who's had this really bad cold this winter? Who gave it to me? I'm serious. I'm serious. Somebody gave, somebody gave it to me, and then I gave it to my fiancé, and it's all downhill. Tanya, you gave it to You did, Tanya. <gasps> it was Tanya last Sunday. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm on, like, the weirdest mix of, like, essential oils and, like, Sudafed and Dayquil. So that's just a warning, I guess, before we continue on. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I've got a stool in case the cocktail gets to my head or something. So we are finishing up a conversation that we're calling Success and Security, as J.D. mentioned. And uh, let me just give you the overview that we've been giving every single week. Success and security. Many of us want to be successful. We want to feel secure. Yet we often find ourselves struggling to feel like we have achieved success or attained security. Jesus consistently redefined success and security by inviting people to question what matters most in their lives. And in this conversation, we're going to look at ways Jesus redefines success and security. Jesus consistently invited us to redefine what success and security means. So we're going to look at another way, uh, final way that Jesus does that today. So before we do that, will you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have welcomed you into this place. We are so grateful for the promise of your presence, that you are a God who is with us, that you are a God who is alive and active in this world, and that you invite us to join with you in what you are doing in this world to bring restoration and redemption. God, continue to open our eyes for the ways that you're doing that and the ways that you're inviting us in. And we pray, God, like we do every week, that you would be present here in this school, not just now as we worship you, but throughout this week, that your presence would make a difference for the faculty and the staff and the students, the social workers, God, the administration. We pray, God, that you would make a difference in their life, that you would lead and guide them, that you would draw close to those kids, that you would meet their needs, Jesus. And if we are people who are able to be a part of that, God, will you show us how? We love you, and we ask that you would speak to each of us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so the community time question. Um, how many of you are easily startled? Who will admit that you are easily startled? Okay. Anybody who's like, doesn't matter if somebody jumps out at me, I'm fine. Okay. I, I would feel that I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, my dad was somebody, uh, he's not with us anymore, but he would just jump out all the time and scare me to death. And I hated it. And so I tried to build up this tolerance against being startled, okay? And so now I'm somewhere in the middle, and sometimes people totally get me, and sometimes they don't. But I hate it, okay? That is a warning, not an invitation. And I have given this warning to my lovely fiancé many times. And that did not stop him yesterday from pretending like he shot himself in the finger with a staple gun. Not funny, okay? This is a war. It's not funny. Stop laughing. <laughs> People are supporting him. <laughs> oh, man. I should have known that was going to backfire on me. My brother, my own brother is against me. Anyway, I hate it. I hate the being startled. I hate being sh like caught off guard like that. And I'm sure it has something to do with some deep issues in my life. Once again, my therapist and I can work through that. However, um, when I think about this, and I think about how some of us are easily caught off guard in this way I'm describing, I think about lately how uh, I'm noticing this about myself and many of us, that we seem to be very easily startled and upset about what we see happening around us in the world. 
I mean, some of us are like really shaken up on a daily basis by some of the things happening that are coming through our news feeds. Maybe not all of you are feeling that way, but I have noticed that many of us do, and myself included. Like we know we need to stop having those notifications on our phones, right? And like whatever news outlet you have that buzzes and you look at the phone and then you see something that, who has this? You don't have to admit it if you don't want to, but you're looking down there and you, you're about to look and see what it is and you kind of wince like, oh, it's going to be bad news. And you look at it and you're like, oh, and you're filled with this anxiety and this fear. Are people resonating with what I'm talking about? I know some of you have this going on. And maybe some of you took the notifications off your phone and that would be wise. Um, I still have them on my phone if I'm honest. A couple weeks ago, uh, the, uh, it buzzed, and I looked at it, and I was nervous. You know, it's going to be bad news. And it was like, Beyonce's having twins. And I was like, yes! That's awesome, Beyonce. I mean, that's not even news at all. This should not even be news. But I was so excited that it was, like, good news. You know, babies are always good news. I was like, yes, Beyonce, you got that. What is that? Like, what? <laughs> I was way too excited about Beyonce. I find myself, I find many of us feeling the sense of being startled or jolted or rocked day to day by these different things that are happening around us, not only in the news, but in our workplaces, in the environments where we spend time, in our extended families. Things are happening and they're jolting us. They're causing us to lose a sense of security, a sense of stability. And in many ways, I think that some of us have a sense of maybe a deep sense of compassion or a sense of justice or care for other people, and that's part of what's causing this to rise up in us. For many of us, myself included, there's a, it's really more personal than that. We look around and we're thinking, man, what happens in the economy? What happens in the world? What happens in my family? This impacts me personally. I have a lot to lose, and it's hard to not feel like I want to just hold tightly and control what I have. And I want to say today, I, I honestly feel this. I don't think that this is weird. <laughs> I don't think it's weird that when things are uncertain that we feel shaky. I actually think that makes total sense. And I actually don't think that we should feel shame about that. However, I do think we have to have a little heart-to-heart -heart about the reality of this, okay? Some of you are like, I just met you. I don't know if we're ready to have a heart-to-heart, -heart, but we are, okay? I actually have to have a little bit of a heart-to-heart -heart with myself. Um, if you were here two weeks ago, I had a little bit of a confession time with Pastor Steph about all my anxieties, so I just put that all out there. So if anyone wants to come and like, you know, verbally vomit their stuff on me, you know, you can because I did it to you. And so I feel this is for me too. Um, I feel really compelled to share what I need to share today. And if you want to blame it on the Sudafed, that's cool too, but I'm not sure if it's the Sudafed or not. Sudafed, Holy Spirit, we'll find out. Um, so Thank you for the courtesy laugh in this reality of my life right now. Um, this is what I feel like I want to share. If the day-to-day -day whiplash of current events, whether it's public or in our personal lives, is whipping us around emotionally, if we find ourselves full of fear and anxiety, then we have to take a serious look at what we are chasing after in life. If the day-to-day -day whiplash of current events is whipping us around emotionally, and if we find ourselves full of fear and anxiety, then we have to take a serious look at what we are chasing after in life. What are we chasing? What are we going for? What are we afraid to lose? What is this worst-case scenario that we've built up in our minds? I don't think this is going to be an easy thing for some of us to, to think about today, maybe for most of us. 
But I want to point out, before we even go any further, that I think what we're hearing Jesus say, as Jesus redefines success and security, I deeply, deeply believe that it comes from such a place of love that Jesus has for us. It doesn't come from a place where Jesus wants to pour on the shame. I think it comes from a place where Jesus wants to pour on the love and say, I love you too much not to say to you these challenging things because this is how much I care about you. And this is why I did what I did for you. This is why I came to be a human, lived this life, died a death that was horrible, but came back to life to conquer death so you have access to God. I think this is why Jesus says what he says here, even though it's hard. So today we're going to look at one more spot in the Sermon on the Mount we've been looking at the last few weeks. Um, this is going to be in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, if you have a Bible, but we'll have it up here on the screen. Let me set the scene for you just one more time. So the Sermon on the Mount is some of Jesus' most famous words. Um, he had been teaching and healing and casting out demons, and huge crowds were coming at him. And so he, after doing that for a while, says, let's get away to his disciples. Let's get away. And they go up on the side of a, a mountain. It's probably more like a hill. It's kind of like in Minnesota. And we pretend it's bigger than it is. And he gets away. And he invites with him these people who he has drawn closest to him, the people who he has given the most access to his life, his disciples, these men and women who have begun to walk in step with him and see things through his eyes. And he draws them close to share with him what I think is deepest on his heart for them, coming straight from his heart for them. Theologian N.T. Wright describes the Sermon on the Mount as instructions to the disciples for their mission. And this seems so applicable to us, doesn't it? As people who want to be disciples of Jesus who are living on mission. These are the instructions that Jesus has for us. So towards the end of this famous sermon, he gives these instructions that my guess is as those early followers heard these words, it cut straight to the heart, the same as it does for many of us today. So let me read this passage starting um, Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. As I read through this passage, I feel that there's two kind of parts, two things that Jesus really wants us to grasp in the midst of all that he's saying here. So I'm gonna kind of divide it up into two parts, okay? So the first part, um, I, I wanna point out uh, what Jesus is encouraging us to do, and then we're gonna actually stop and have a little bit of time for reflection. So I'm just warning you about that in advance. And then we'll talk about the second part of what I think Jesus is saying. So, is that okay with everybody? 
You don't actually have a choice. Cool. So first, Jesus is confronting his followers pretty clearly about how they tend to worry. We all heard that in there, right? First century culture, the time in which these people were hearing from Jesus, had as much uncertainty as we do today. In fact, many scholars would say it had more uncertainty than most of us, especially in majority culture, feel today here in our country. Um, I bet some people could begin to understand how they might feel. The people who were listening to Jesus were a part of an oppressed people group. They were people who were tossed around by the Roman government. There were these leaders who were oppressive, who could make one little decision on a whim if they felt like it, and whole families could lose almost everything that they have. And Jesus says to these people that he loves, don't worry about your life. And I think Jesus knows that this is easier said than done. I mean, he, he says at the end there, each day has enough trouble of its own, doesn't he? He knows there's trouble. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. He's not in denial. He knows. He just begins to speak to them as plainly as he can. And he asks this question, is life not more than food and clothing and what you have stored away? And I think this is a great question for us today. Is life not more? Is life not more than what you and I have worried about yesterday and the day before? Is life not about more than the things that we tend to worry about on a daily basis? Is life not more? If, if all that God's intended, is it not more than the things that toss us back and forth amidst the waves of uncertainty of the news that's streaming into our ears? Real news, fake news, we don't know. Jesus then says this pretty cutting statement. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. When Jesus uses the word pagan here uh, in this statement, it's not meant to be derogatory. I know that in our language we sometimes use it as a derogatory statement. But Jesus simply means people who don't believe there is a God that is bigger than their circumstances. When he says the pagans run after these things, he's saying those who don't believe there is a God who is bigger than them, their circumstances. Those people who don't believe there is a God run after the things of this world, the little kingdoms, so to speak, the little kingdoms of this world that, that the world offers, that they're trying to build. And he says to these people he loves, but you know that there's a God who loves you. You know that this God wants to be close to you like a father, and this father knows that you need these things. So why do you live a life full of worry just like the people who don't believe? What are you chasing? Are we chasing after safety, thinking that our government can actually offer that? Are we chasing after success? Are we chasing after financial security? Are we chasing after relationships with other people that we think are gonna somehow make us whole? Are we chasing after the right job that's gonna make us feel useful? What are we chasing? If we chase after these things, I think we will be filled with the worry and the uncertainty of this day. This is what Jesus is pointing out to these people that he loves. Don't you see that you are living as if there is no God? As if there is no heavenly father who has a bigger vision and a larger plan, who's not going to erase the trouble of today or tomorrow, but helps us see that in relationship with him, that God breaks into the now, and someday brokenness will not be the end of the story. 
there's a phrase that I've heard for this type of living that Jesus describes, and that is functional atheism. Chasing after things as though you need to strive to make them happen, to force it, to control things, to be the one to hold it all together as if there is no God. And you can't. You can't catch it. You'll never achieve it. And if you do for a moment, it's going to be empty, trust me. I think about this in my own life, and it cuts to the core. Why do I think for even a second that I can hold it all together? I can't. Without God, there's just humans running after these little kingdoms, running after the wind. You'll never catch it. Full of worry. Worry that Jesus says will not add a day to your life. And guess what? We know now what doctors and psychologists say about worry and anxiety. It takes days from your life. So that's, you know, Jesus foreshadowing that scientific discovery. Jesus says this not out of shame, but out of deep, abiding love. The kind of love that says, I know you're not going to get this right. I know this is really hard, but I need you to trust me because it's not going to be easy. There is trouble every single day. Trust me in that day. Then trust me the next day. Then trust me the next day. I will be with you in the midst of it, in the midst of the trouble, and I will be with you always. So this passage gives us a clue as to what we should run after as well. But before we go there, I want to stop in this part one where Jesus is encouraging us not to worry. And um, Ashish is going to come up and help us create some space for reflection. Now, if you got your program, you got this little sheet in here that says success and security. Can you pull that out? And Brian's going to come around. Raise your hand real high if you do not have one. And don't be shy. Just keep it up for a second. This is going to give us an opportunity just to reflect on some of the things we've thought about for these last four weeks. And, um, you know, what, it, what are the things, what are the worries, the anxieties, the things that are keeping you from finding your success and your security and who God is in your life? I want you to think about those things. And I also want to offer a quick disclaimer right now. Many of you know that a passion of mine is emotional health and people pursuing emotional health. When we talk about anxiety up here on this stage, I want you to know that um, we're not referring to people who experience anxiety as a, as a mental illness, Okay. I know that's many of you in this space. I know that many of you have felt that way and experienced that because of the chemical properties in your brain. And I want to tell you that I'm somebody who believes um, that God can heal in many ways. But what I don't want you to, to hear me saying is that if you just trust God more, then you won't experience anxiety on that level. Okay? So I want to encourage you, if you're somebody who is wondering, is there maybe more going on because this anxiety is feeling really crippling? I want to say to you as a pastor, I believe that God can use counselors and therapists and medication. I absolutely do. So uh, if you need help with that, if you need first steps, our team is ready to help with that and ready to do that. We even have a little bit of money to help start that relationship with a therapist or a counselor. So let us know, please, if that's something you're thinking about. And for those of you who are already in that process of healing around anxiety disorders and things like that, you are courageous people and I am proud of you, and I am really inspired by you and who you are in your life, and so I want you to know that. So that's a little bit of a disclaimer. What we're talking about here is the type of anxiety that we have when we need to trust God more than our ability to control our circumstances, okay? So generally speaking, for those of us who need to trust God more than our ability to control our circumstances, all right? So think about that in your life. Think about the things that are the anxieties that you know you need to trust God in, And then on this sheet, I've written out the longer version of the serenity prayer. 
that has been uh, a prayer for many, many years, uh, definitely made famous by the Alcoholics Anonymous community, but this is the, the long version, if that's something that is helpful for you. And then I want you to list whatever situation that you're thinking about in your life. What is it that only God can do? And then below, what I can actually do, okay? You see in the serenity prayer, we want courage to cha change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. So right now, my prayer for you as you just take a few minutes is to know the difference between the things that you can change and the things that God needs to do and the things that have to be left to God. And just jot those things down. We're not going to ask you to turn this in or anything. It's just for you, okay? And Ashish is going to play some music to give us some space and then uh, sing a song of reflection, and then we'll move on to that second part. Through it all, through it all, it is well. 
know that there's times when we feel <clears throat> that it is well with our soul and many times that we don't. And I, I love the lyrics of the song and the way that it tells us to keep our eyes on God, to turn our eyes back to Jesus when it doesn't feel well with our soul. And I, for one, know that there's many other things I immediately think to do when it's not well with my soul besides turning my eyes back to Jesus and back to the face of a God who loves us. Turning to God a God who loves you 
is how we step out of the functional atheism and put our trust in Jesus. Jesus who says, in this world you will have trouble, but then says what? But take heart, for I have overcome the world. So here's the thing, part two. How does Jesus end this little pep talk on worry? I wish it was just a little pep talk. It feels like more than a little pep talk. But I think that Jesus ends by saying some of what I think, and maybe I'm a little biased, but I think are some of the most important words that he ever shares. In verse 23, he says, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and then all of these things will be given to you as well. And Jesus is making a pretty bold statement here. Because he's not just saying, try to have peace amongst a crazy world. He's not just saying, hunker down in the love of God and hope that everything will turn okay, out okay. He gives a very clear action statement to us, doesn't he? One that I think sometimes we fail to truly take in. He says, don't worry like the people who think there is no God. Instead, seek first God's kingdom or God's righteousness or justice. And then all these other things will be added to you. Or what he's really saying is everything else you actually need will be there. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and justice. Jesus is using this description as a contrast to all the other things that we worry about that add up to the little kingdoms of the world, the little kingdoms we try to build for ourselves or other people's kingdoms who we try to join. Jesus says, instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his justice. And what does this mean? Well, I think it's what we talk about here all the time, isn't it? Loving God and loving others first. Stepping into situations boldly where there is wrongs that need to be made right. Befriending our neighbors. Speaking up for those voices who are often unheard. Standing in the gap for people who are not able to get their needs met choosing to go and be with people who are on the margins when you don't have to go there if you don't want to. Pursuing the heart and the character of Jesus in ways that cause you to be somebody who would even love your enemies. And here's the thing, I, I think that Jesus is saying we still have to run, we still have to chase after something. It might seem easier that Jesus just says, actually stop running, we can just sit and we can just wait. And maybe we need a little bit of a break sometimes, absolutely. But what Jesus is saying here, I think very clearly is, chase after me, my kingdom, my righteousness, my justice, and then you won't have to worry about all these other things. You probably won't have time. The kingdom of God is what is more about our life than the day-to-day -day worries. Jesus isn't giving us a picture of somebody that's just sitting there. He's giving us a picture of somebody running after the wrong things and turning around and realizing, actually, I should be running, I should be chasing, but it's in the seeking after the kingdom of God, something that God gives us the energy and strength to do. I understand that sometimes when we realize, man, we have been chasing these little kingdoms for so long, we're stressed, we might need a quick breather. And I think God totally understands that as well. But Jesus is giving us this picture, I think, because he loves us because he knows that these things go together. That if we just cease the striving towards one thing and don't pick up another, we're gonna just pick up those worries and anxieties again with our empty hands. And I see so many times in this story that Jesus promises that if we seek after it, we will find it. We will find it in glimpses and moments at first. And then someday when Jesus returns and his kingdom is here fully, we will see him.
It's like God says to us through Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. This is not about sitting it out. This is about knowing what you are running after. What is it for you? What is it that is the beginning of seeking the kingdom of God? Many of you have already been doing that, but what is the next step? How is God inviting you to seek his kingdom instead of the kingdoms of this world that bring all that anxiety? I, I think, in my opinion, that it's a lie from the enemy that we somehow have to get all of our stuff together before we can participate with Jesus in the kingdom of God. I think it's one of the deepest tricks to keep us from stepping into not only what God wants for us, but into healing. Because I think stepping towards other people and towards the kingdom brings that healing in our lives. And I hear it all the time, these lies. People are too stressed to step towards that justice issue that's been on their heart. People are too busy to try to try out a missional community even though they care about that group's mission. People are afraid to step towards people on the margins because they don't know how it's going to go. And I get all that stuff. And I think what Jesus is saying here, trust me, step towards it. If you wait until you think you're ready, you'll never do it. Out of love, Jesus says, don't chase after the world, but keep chasing. Chase after me, chase after my kingdom. And I say to you with as much love as I have, even though I don't know every one of you personally, don't chase after the world, but keep chasing. Let us keep chasing after the kingdom of God. Not when you get it all together, because then you never will, and I never will. We'll never do it. And if we begin to chase after God's kingdom and not the kingdoms of this world, we will realize that the news we hear every day doesn't shake us to the core in the same way. It may motivate us. It may give us a sense of what God's heart might be in the situation. But as people who hear Jesus say to us, warning us, each day is going to have enough trouble of its own. We aren't shocked. We might be saddened. We might be disappointed. But what do we expect from all the little false striving kingdoms of this world? What do we expect? Perhaps we've expected too much. I, for one, will confess that I have had to ask God for forgiveness for how I have apparently put higher expectations on the kingdoms of this world, including the kingdom of our country, than the expectations that I had for the kingdom of God. Why else would I get so jolted and startled when it doesn't look like God's kingdom? Of course it doesn't. Of course the kingdoms of this world don't look like the kingdom of God. Why are we so shocked? How did we get to a place where we expected that? Seek my kingdom because I love you, Jesus says. Seek my kingdom because it doesn't even match up close to these kingdoms of this world. They can't even try. They're not even close. How did we get to a place where we thought that they could? I'm going to have the band come back up. And we're going to respond in uh, declaring God's greatness and how much greater God is than so much that we see in the world. And when I think about just these last few weeks even, some stories amongst many of you of ways that people are confronting some things in their life that they're afraid of. A friend in the Mind the Gaps missional community, this is a missional community focused on the education gaps, went to a meeting. The Minneapolis School Board invited the community to come and talk about some of the problems that are being faced. And she said to the group, clear as day, she said, I'm anxious about going. This makes me nervous. I don't think it makes sense. I feel like I'm going to get there and it's going to be a waste of time. And then she went and she said, I am so glad I went. 
And then there are answers that we have from that meeting that are going to help shape what we do. And I feel like I hear Jesus whisper to her, yes, yes, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Seek first my kingdom. Or I think about Connie, who is part of our community. Many of you know her. She goes to volunteer at the Catholic Elder Care every week and spends time with people who say to her, I'm just sitting here waiting to die. They say that to her. And she tells them, no, 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 there are things you can do. Let's talk about how you can support the food shelf that my church supports. Let's talk about ways that you can knit mittens and hats for kids who are in need and giving them some purpose back into their life. And I feel like I can just hear God saying to her, yes, yes, don't chase after the wind. Chase after me and my kingdom right until the end. Help these people do that. And Connie does just that. On the back of the little card that I gave you, you'll see there's a place where it says, how might I seek first the kingdom? And I know that some of you are already doing that, and I'd love for you to write those things down for yourself, to remind yourself of the priorities that you have. And my guess is that if you were to begin to listen to God and say, what is it, what are the beginning ways for me to seek your kingdom instead of these things that are just crowding me with anxiety, my guess is it won't be something huge or overwhelming. It probably will be things like put down your phone and talk to the people that are at the swim meet or the soccer match or the basketball match with you and your kids and listen to them. It'll probably be things like getting to know the names of your neighbors, even the ones who seem like they don't want to know you or seem really different than you. Or just first steps in starting to get involved in some of those justice areas you care about. It might be God saying to you, it's okay that you don't have a lot. In fact, God might say to you, let's get creative with what you do have. What could that look like? Maybe it's trying out a few missional communities just to see, maybe one of these is a good fit for me and I don't have to do it alone. So just take a minute and jot down what comes to mind the things that are seeking first the kingdom in your life. Because then you're able to say, this is what God's calling me to do first. And when we press into those things, all these other things will be added to us as well. We're going to sing these songs that declare God's greatness, the greatness of the kingdom of God compared to all the small kingdoms of this world after we take some time to write these down. And then I encourage you just to take this with you into your prayer time this week. And I believe that if you ask God, he will show you what these things are, the, the first steps, the little things that can help us move from this place of insecurity and fear of failure into success and security that come from a God who loves us.